Welcome to episode three of In Search Of. I am your host, Jeb Stuart Johnston. Uh, today we have on uh, a good friend of mine um, and a mentor for me in the fitness industry, Sean Heisen. Uh, Sean is the author, um, most recently, of the Men's Health Encyclopedia of Muscle, Everything You Need to uh, Need to Build the Body You Want. Uh, it is uh, by Men's Health. And it is a phenomenal, uh, like it says, encyclopedia of everything training. I mean, he delves deep, really gets into some uh, some esoteric uh, training forms, but also all the you know kind of things you've heard of um, over the years, and some you haven't. Uh, he interviews uh, some of the best minds in the industry. Um, it's really, really a, an incredible read, an incredible resource uh, for anyone who's just interested in fitness uh, or wants to make this their career. Uh, Sean's previously written. 101 best workouts of all time for uh, men's fitness and uh, another workout book that I, I use a lot if I'm stuck in programming, I need something different, travel workouts, lots of really great resources in that as well. You can find Sean on uh, Instagram at Sean Heisen, uh, and you, there was a link to purchase his newest book there. And you can also find him on Facebook, obviously under Sean Heisen, and on Twitter. Uh, he is a journalist, after all, and those are the people who still use Twitter. Um, but I really hope you enjoy this. Uh, we really dig deep. We get into some cool stuff. Uh, we talk about his life, what it's meant to him to be successful, um, and... and uh, you know, like I said, this is a guy who uh, means the world to me. I couldn't respect him anymore, and uh, I hope you guys uh, can kind of get out of it um, some of the lessons I've learned from him because because they've been huge, and uh, uh, I think he's just a, a great asset to this this uh, world, and, and um, especially in the fitness community as a whole. So enjoy. Here it is, Sean Heisen. start um here with uh sean heisen uh author of men's health encyclopedia of muscle everything you need to build the body you want um so i guess just uh start off just let's first of all let's kind of talk about the book a minute let's uh tell tell people about what it is and um you know what people can expect to to find in it yeah two years ago men's health reached out to me i'd written another book for men's fitness in the past they, they knew i was good for it and they said you want to write a book about all these different workout topics and if it had been like another abs book or something cheesy I would have said no but I was really excited they wanted an encyclopedia that laid out exactly how to do all these different kind of meathead techniques that guys like you and I Jeb have learned about for years or heard about but didn't necessarily know how to do the best possible way or how to apply scientifically in our workouts things like uh, you know conjugate periodization drop sets supersets you know the constant tension principle it, all the stuff that you read about in bodybuilding magazines, Muscle and Fitness and Flex, when you were a kid, but you never really got like a very clear vision on how to use properly. So I, I started digging into it. I talked to a lot of trainers and bodybuilders and looked at the science and the latest research and dug up everything I could on how to do this stuff right. Now, um, 
when you were kind of digging in, where did you start? Because it's such a huge, like, huge topic. Like, how do you really dig in and kind of to break down where you want to get with this thing? Well, I wanted to find the most credible people for each one of these topics that I could. So if you're talking about something like, you know, constant tension or uh, uh, the priority principle, like those are like old school bodybuilding ideas. So I thought, let me find not so much an old school bodybuilder, but a guy who kind of came up with those and, and has experimented with those ideas and you know, who would be great for that? So I, I found Ben Pikulski, who's like widely known as you know, one of the most well-read, smart, modern bodybuilders. So he was – he had a great uh, – a lot of great tips in the book. We talked about uh, the mind-muscle connection for instance and a lot of people just think that's about thinking about the muscle when you're training it. But it goes deeper than that. You actually – according to him, he was saying you should really think about the muscle contracting and the two ends of it shortening, coming together because that's what muscles do. They'll, they'll just shorten when they contract. And if you picture your muscles doing that when you're doing an exercise, it really helps you build a, a connection mentally into what you're training. So he was, you know, one guy I reached out to and then, you know, Brett Petraris is a great resource, Brad Schoenfeld, those guys had a lot of the latest research. So I went online, looked at the, the studies that they had done or they had found for other things. And I just tried to find the, the best possible source I could for each one of these different categories. It's cool because I think you, um, you know, right now it's, it's starting to get a little bit better, but we, we, we saw such a, a split in fitness and where it, it became um, either anecdotal or evidence-based. And no one would agree that the other person had it right. And I think there's a really good blend in here of, of, of because what the evidence is basically showing is that all the anecdotal evidence was actually correct. And it's huh. nice to see those, those two things kind of uh, mirroring each other in this. Yeah, I think uh, Alan Cosgrove, I believe it was, said that you know science shows us what we already know. If you're in the gym and you, you've been training for a while, you're going to be way ahead of a lot of these guys who are just studying this stuff because the fact remains they just they haven't studied these bodybuilding techniques that much. There just isn't that much research on it. So going into the gym and, and figuring things out for yourself is still really the ultimate best way to learn. So um, obviously this is, this is a pretty – a pretty big task. It's a it's a pretty big accomplishment. Um, you know, men's health being kind of the pinnacle of of, of fitness uh, books. So, you know, a big part of this podcast is really kind of talking to people about, um, you know, how they how they got to where they are, how they've you know created this this successful environment. Um, and so, you know, I'm really kind of trying to dig deep. But so, I just want to kind of dig back all the way, kind of to start. Um, you know, where'd you grow up? Like, talk to me kind of about your childhood, like what, what growing up was like and how you kind of even, you know, started down this path into this world. Uh, this podcast is about to take a very dark turn, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I grew up on Long Island and I was, uh, you know, I, you're kind of a classic story. I was a, a skinny, very unathletic kid, very shy and was picked on a lot. And I just always kind of look to, you know, pro wrestlers and, you know, action heroes and movies as sort of heroes. And I, I never really dreaming that one day I could emulate them in any way, but I, I just was fascinated by strength and I wanted to, you know, build up the, the weak side of me. And so I, I found my, my path to fitness in college and I just, I got really into working out in college and I was also really into writing at the same time. And, uh, you know, to quote our mutual friend, Ben Bruno, who is, has a similar story, I figured, well, I like writing, I like fitness, maybe I'll write about fitness. <laughs> and that was simply uh, as simple as my mind works. And and uh, I got into it after college. I got a, a job at uh, Men's Fitness at the bottom, just sort of like 
sweeping up the place at night when <laughs> when they closed it down. And uh, was editor, editorial assistant. I worked my way up to fitness editor. Got certified CSCS, and I've just been writing about fitness ever since. I'm trying to distill it down and make it easier for people like me to uh, to understand and you know get the most out of it and make faster progress than I did. So. Let's uh, jump a little bit back because because you did you intern there before you got the job? Uh, I interned the company, and uh, you know, truth be told, my father worked there, and he he got me in the front door, so I got a chance to, you know, I, a pretty good break that most other people don't get. So I, I started there as an editorial assistant in two thousand three. And um, because because what I'm, what I'm touching on here, what I'm getting at is there was some um some editorial articles for a uh, another or uh, another publication under that umbrella i think it was like the the biggest baby ever born on uh, Long island yeah <laughs> I, uh, I, was college when i was in college i interned for the same company they owned a lot of the uh uh the tabloid magazines and uh weekly world news that was that tabloid that for years it's out of business now but at the time you know for about 30 years that was the one you saw on the newsstand at the grocery store uh checkout line that's it would have all you know the UFOs are landing and the the Bat Boy was found in the cave like all those really sensational outrageous fake stories and yeah they they threw me into one of them one time I, I played a, a kid who was born premature and then grew up to be seven feet tall so they docked some photos of me and that was one of my early claims to fame was I got to appear in the with the world news. It's crazy to think that that whole genre is kind of gone. I mean I guess it it still exists it's just on the internet now and people believe yeah, it. it Kind of killed it. I think things like The Onion and all these other humor websites just sort of stole their thunder. But eh, when you think about it, Weekly World News is pretty ahead of its time. That was probably the first one, along with maybe National Lampoon magazine, that really did that kind of wacky stuff. Yeah. Um, so you got into journalism, obviously, and, and fitness, and, and those things kind of uh, coalesced and, and gave you this career path. Um, so you... I mean, you really came into that world of publishing and, and of, of, of journalism at a time when it was kind of at its height, and you really rode through, I mean, an industry really completely changing. I mean, what was it like to to go through something and kind of and watch from the inside as the entire the entirety of the industry changed? Well, I think I got into it really as it was on its downslope. You know, I just got into magazines and people were really flooding to the internet, so... You know, it was sad to watch, you know, this empire that Joe Weider had built, Muscle and Fitness, Men's Fitness, these big-time magazines that at one time had really been the only resource for guys like you and me to go to to get information on this stuff. To watch that sort of dwindle and see the internet rise and, and the rise of all these online entrepreneurs, these trainers turned online uh, talking heads. It was going through a period of transition, and I, it was cool to kind of learn, you know, both ways. I had the, I learned the magazine and the writing skills from – uh, you know the editorial department, the magazine, but I, at the same time, I got to learn in real time from a lot of these great, you know, coaches that you and I know and have talked to. And so I've always felt like I kind of had feet in uh, in both worlds. I was very into training and, and very into the journalism. Yeah, it's uh, luckily a lot of those guys you talk about have made such a good transition into uh, this kind of new world. And I think you know they're just they're great coaches, great trainers. So it's just they, their skill set trans- translates kind of overall. Yeah, the best coaches, almost without exception, have become the best online leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, so, when you were uh, here, you, I mean, you were—you know—we're talking about New York City. Um, you started. I'm sorry. You said you started 2000, 2003. 2003. Yeah. 
So you moved to New York straight from um, you were at uh, your upstate New York college. You came to New York City, got an apartment, you know, started the whole thing. Um, what was it like, you know, being young, being in the industry, um, also being in, you know, kind of fitness, kind of straddling this world of like, hey, I'm, you know, my 20s in New York City. And then also, um, you know, having this interest in gyms, fitness. And at the time, I mean, you know, the, the, I, the fitness scene in New York was a lot different as well. Yeah, I, mean, I was always a total prisoner of my own passion, and, and it's funny because at Men's Fitness, you'd think that a lot of people there would be really into working out, but that wasn't <laughs> the case. They were they were just professional journalists and you know, professional editorial people. That they, they just looked at it like a job. I was the only one who was going to the gym. I was the only one who was you know packing a lunch and bringing healthy food in. And you know, the big joke around the office was you know how many packs of cigarettes do you smoke a day? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was the only one really living that lifestyle. So that gave me a, a, just a big advantage because I was just so naturally interested in, in the topics. And I you know, took it upon myself to do a lot of research on my own time and do whatever it took to, to get ahead. So it was only about six months later after I started that they made me the fitness editor. So that just shows you I didn't have a lot of uh, competition. I didn't have a lot of stones I had to step over to get there. So, yeah, I was just uh, super into it right away. And uh you know, it's, uh, I, I, I always tell people I, I really can't give you much advice about career or business or any of the, the technical aspects of getting ahead you know, with what you want to do. I just, I've always been guided by you know, passion, and you know, I, I learned just by, uh, by loving what I do. You know, and um, you know, from, the out, from the outside looking in, I'm sure for a lot of people it, it seems like um, you, know, you look at it as a 9-to-5 job. But you know, I remember – you know, what it was like hours wise for you just, I mean, you know, working there, it was the the constant pressure of, you know, I think you put it so succinctly when you said the magazine comes out every month. It doesn't care if you want a vacation or anything like that. So it's like, there's never a let up. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not like a regular job where you finish a project and you're like, Oh, I got a little let up for a while to something. So it's just this constant pressure, but you know, I'm sure that pressure at the same time, if it's something you love, it really can, drive you to be really great at what you do yeah i mean uh, there's no stopping the, the flow of time a magazine has to come out no matter what and you're never working at one issue at a time you got to you know get stuff ahead so you're always trying to think three or six months in advance and you know what articles are going to be timely then and and you know at my company too which was like most of the publishing industry we had really cut down and consolidated a lot they were trying to work as much out of uh, as small a staff as possible to save costs so I, I started at Men's Fitness, and then it wasn't too long before they had me working on Muscle Fitness as well, and Muscle and Fitness Hers, and Flex, and you know sporadic other titles here and there. So uh, I, I you know it's it, I had not done I didn't do just one job for very long. I was working on multiple titles at once and trying to you know keep them all straight in my head and, and not reuse you know content yeah. into another. Try to specialize. You know, if I'm am I writing for women today? Am I writing for older guys today? Am I writing for younger guys? Am I writing for bodybuilders? Like every day, it was <laughs> every hour, even it was a different challenge. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure the learning to write and all those different voices just improved your writing exponentially. Like, you know, as you went. Yeah, for anyone who wants to write, I always try to tell them the secret is it's twofold. It's reading and it's writing. You got to read a lot, and you've got to write and rewrite and rewrite again. And stop yourself, go back, and uh, and read what you wrote. I mean, we're in a culture now where everything moves so fast, and people mm-hmm. fire off these text messages and emails without thinking about it. And it always blows my mind when I get like professional emails from people who, you know, want to do work with me, or they want to, 
you know, they want to write for the for the website I work for now. And like, it's clearly this guy didn't even read over the sentence before he, he clicked the button. It's like there's spelling errors and it makes no sense. And it's just it's the simplest thing you do is just go back and, and try to read what you just wrote and see if it makes sense in your own head. And if if you see that there's something that, that's iffy there, there's no way anybody else but you is going to understand it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I love just that fact of like like reading something and I'm like, okay, this sounds jumbly. It just doesn't it doesn't flow off my off my tongue. Like what you know, what can I do to kind of go back and make it even if it's just taking a word out to make it flow better and just sound more natural. Yeah, and I think people make the mistake when they're they think about writing for a big audience and they think, "Oh, I got to sound smart. I got to, you know, impress everybody so they'll think that I'm the best and it's really just the opposite you want to really dumb it down you want to simplify don't use big words use small words don't use long sentences use short sentences chop it up as much as you can make this as, as simple as you can because there's nothing more embarrassing for a writer or somebody reading your writing than to read this long flowery paragraph that when you get to the end of it you have no idea what the guy was trying to say yeah no and I think that's you know it's one thing I can say is like all of your writing you know, over the years, it's, I, I can very much like within a paragraph, I know it's yours, which is cool. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, it's, whether it's the sense of humor, the delivery, um, you know, regardless of the topic, I get a feel for it. And it, it's, you can still, you can still go in there and, and, a, and approach a very in-depth, very complex topic without trying to like, you know, I think a lot of, especially, you know, more of the evidence-based people, they, they almost tend to shout their audience down. So as to remove any doubt instead of inviting them to actually want to explore the topic further, which I think you do a really good job at. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's some good tips for people who want to be writers. I think a lot of people that listen to this too are also um, very interested in how to get their work published, uh, whether it be on you know websites now, whether it be blogs, whether it be uh, you know traditional publishing route through magazines. Um, you work as a publisher. You know, you work as a content director now. I mean, you're constantly doing this, what are your kind of hip tips and hints for people that, that want to break into that world? Well, first of all, shameless plug here, but if you go to writingforfitness.com, we did an ebook, Lou Schuler and John right. Romanello did this, did this ebook a bunch of years ago about just that topic. It's about how to break into the fitness writing business, whether you want to do it with magazines or if you want to blog or get a book deal, we cover a lot of that. And just to give you some quick tips now, I mean, it's kind of a, an, shaky proposition but one simple way is if you want to write for a magazine try to look at the uh, the masthead which is the list of all the people who work for the magazine it's usually in the first couple pages of, of any issue and try to find the editor who's most uh, appropriate for what you want to write about so if you want to write a fitness article try to find who the fitness or exercise uh, editor is for that magazine if it's you want to write, write about food or recipes nutrition try to find out who the food or nutrition editor is and then you can sort of stalk that person, <laughs> be it on social media or try to find their email through their company website. They're usually not that hard to find. And reach out and just say, hey, look, in a very succinct email with some writing samples attached to it, here's some writing I've done. This is what I want to write for you. I'm happy to do it for free uh, just to see how you like it. And then we can build a relationship from there. But you know, don't be afraid to reach out and make that contact because while it might seem like a shot in the dark, and sometimes it is, the fact is that uh, people in the editorial world are uh, – all these editors, they, they work really hard. Uh, they don't make much money most of the time and they're bogged down and working at a fast pace and they would love the help. So if you can write and you can take a little burden off them, you're going to be in demand. Yeah, I, I mean I definitely think that um, 
it's like anything else, relationship building. If you can build that relationship too, it's like the, the, the people I know um, that are, you know, editing now, it's, they're so busy. That's the other thing I, you know, I've talked to people. It's like, it's like, don't, don't be afraid to uh, follow up with people, regardless of what it is, you know, whether it's publishing anything. Uh, people are so busy now. It's not that they're ignoring you half the time. They just, they see it and they're like, I'm going to get back to that and just go right yeah. past it. Yeah, try to put put a witty line in your subject line and uh, and get to the point quickly in the first sentence or two of the email. So, um, men's fitness, um, obviously a big bellwether change for you. Um, so I think, you know, we, again, talking about kind of how you became, who you became, I think um, a, a very important part of that is uh, mentorship. And so uh, we've got to talk about uh, at what point um, you really grew uh, due to your mentorships that, that you – uh, went through. And, you know, I think a big part of this story has to be talking about Sean Perrine, um, who I think was a great mentor to you and, and obviously someone that really helped shape you. Um, I mean, I can't think about something more appropriate than an encyclopedia of muscle. You know, the, the guy had an encyclopedic knowledge of, of such things. So I think, um, you know, can you talk about Sean Perrine? Talk, tell about who he was and kind of what he meant to you and how he helped you develop. Well, Sean Perrine was like me, a lifelong uh, fan of bodybuilding and training and was just the most devout fitness guy you ever met in your life. This guy really lived the whole lifestyle. There wasn't an ounce of hypocrisy in him. He, he grew up training with Steve Mihalik, Mr. America on Long Island. He was a, a legend in the 70s in the bodybuilding world. And uh, yeah, Sean got that influence and, and he, he was such a talented guy. He did so many different things. He was uh, a salesman and an actor and a artist, graphic design guy, and then he became a fitness journalist, just purely out of passion, and he worked for Flex for many years, and then he became editor-in-chief of Muscle and Fitness uh, after I'd been there for a little while, and it was just, he was a mentor, but he was also just a kindred spirit, it was great to be with a guy who, who just instinctively was on the same page with you about you know, what articles we needed to write, and he was so into like I was, getting to the truth about all these different training methods, and he, you know, I'm, I'm sorry he he passed a year ago. He didn't get to, to see this book that came out, but I dedicated it to him. The Encyclopedia Muscle is dedicated to Sean Perrine. And uh, he really was an example of how of what fitness should do for your life, how it can make you a better person and you know, through strength and through gaining the confidence and self-esteem that you get from making progress with your body, it helps open your mind and make you a hero to other people and somebody who's strong enough to lead by example. And that was him. He was always dedicating his time to other people. He was always, uh, being generous and, and giving to causes that he believed in and lifting other people up. And he, he's a tremendous force that I'll, I will miss in my life forever. Yeah. I think, um, you know, again, you saw a lot of kind of tributes to him with his book came out. So many people that said, you know, he'd be so proud. Um, but again, it was one of those things that it kind of just triggered in my mind because you, both you and him are two people I think of when I think of like literally that encyclopedic knowledge that comes to mind of just like so many different aspects of this, you know, world um, and, and, and you know, yours actually translates into a lot of other weird stuff like the Simpsons and, and Seinfeld and pro wrestling, <laughs> but, but, um, but just that kind of, that kind of passion, I mean, just like hearing him commentate on, on bodybuilding or talking about, you, you realize that he, he knew more about this topic than probably most of the people up there that he was discussing it with, um, from a historic standpoint and, uh, just all the way through it. It's just, it's, 
it made me something that I wasn't really that interested in, in bodybuilding. I was interested in the training, but but the sport and the history of it, it I became very interested in it by listening to him talk about it uh, just because of, of me not realizing what it really stood for, what it really meant. And, and to see that, it's it's very uh, it's very cool to see that that in any industry of someone that's that passionate and has also been successful uh, doing it. Yeah, I think one of the great things you could say about Sean, he left us too young, but I'm very glad and satisfied to report that, like me, he got to meet pretty much all of his idols growing up. I mean, he, he was the world's biggest Arnold Schwarzenegger fan. And not only did he get to interview Arnold and, and meet him and spend time with him, it, the two became legitimate friends. And, and Arnold spoke at his his memorial service. And they, they shared like a real bond in uh, Sean's final few years. And there's not you know many people who can say that. And you could be the world's biggest football fan, but you're probably never going to meet Tom Brady. You know, you never, there's so many other ways that you can, you know, go in life. You, you, you know, most people don't get to meet their heroes. And if they do, they're often disappointed. And Sean not only got to meet his heroes, but he got to have meaningful interactions with them. And, and I'm very glad that he got that before he passed. Yeah. It's very cool. Um, so men's fitness, muscle and fitness, um, you know, you reached a point, uh, I remember we had this conversation, where you, uh, you you said you just you needed a change, and uh, it wasn't necessarily the magazine, but but again coming back to that the the magazine being out every month, you I think your exact quote you said was if I can't ever take a vacation I need to move somewhere where I feel like I'm on vacation. So a big <laughs> a big transition kind of in your life was uh, you left New York and uh, went out to L.A. Talk about that a little. Yeah, I, mean, I, t- I rolled the dice. I had been in New York for more than. 12 years at that point, and I just was burned out on living in tiny studio apartments. I had a, my last one, I was there for eight years. I had a view of a brick wall. <laughs> it was just, my quality of life was pretty poor, and I thought, yeah, I got some, I got some friends in California. I've been out there a few times. It's the cradle of fitness, you know, good air and you know, the ocean and the sun. Like, I need this. This would be good for me. And I, I, I figured like I'm gonna I'm gonna take a chance. I'm gonna see if I can work remotely out there, and uh, if they let me go, then they let me go, and I'll figure it out from there. But I'm, I've got a. I, it comes to a point, Jeb, where it's like it's it's scarier to go on doing the same thing in your life than it is to uproot yourself and change completely. So that was my attitude, and so I, I talked to my CEO of my company at the time, and I said like I really want to go to California and. I hope I have your blessing, but I'm prepared to do whatever I have to do. And uh, you know, they—I guess they—it's a testament to the the loyalty I had shown already and the job that I was doing. They allowed me to go, no really more questions asked, and I moved out to L.A. and I worked there for a year and a half, and I got a new job, and now I'm in Texas. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about the, um, the new job because I think, uh, you know, I think it's—I think for for. Again, this, so much about this podcast, so much about this 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 thing I'm trying to do talk about is is uh, people's success, but it's it's about change. Um, and like you said, like a lot of times the impetus for change is just being so afraid of of being stuck where you are that you don't have a choice. Um, now, a lot of people will take that that fear that, that that staying the same, and that's comfort for them. But but for a lot of us, I think to really um, and again, this you know. My definition of success is is uh, has nothing to do with money or or anything, but but uh, but of finding that kind of um, balance of, of of who you need to be, um, and and that that impetus for change, 
that can be so fulfilling, but you have, you do have to take that jump. Um, you, so when you take this move from, from men's fitness, now a job that, that was secure, something you've been doing for a long time, something you're, you tons of respect, uh, in the industry, you, you, you built up a lot of capital, um, and doing something similar, but, but a pretty big shift. You went and took a job with Onnit. Yeah, I work for Onnit now, and I had met uh, the CEO, Aubrey Marcus, at a fitness conference, a fitness business conference a year prior, and when I was you know, trying to go out and network a little bit and see, set something up so that I had something to jump to if I needed it. And yeah, he invited me down here, and it was as everything that he had promised. It was as advertised. This is a, it's a great company. We're up and coming, and we look at fitness as a very holistic thing. It's not just about muscles anymore. You know, having the six pack. It's you know getting your mind right and eating healthy foods and having this synergistic approach where understand that everything links into something else. And I'm I couldn't be more passionate about it now. It's it's everything that I ever did at Men's Fitness plus so much more, and. I mean, just going back to the idea of change, I, I think too many of us make the mistake of just waiting like I did until you're just desperate and you can't take it anymore and you, you've got no – things can't get any worse so you've got to make them better. And I think we all need to be a little bit more courageous and and get over these these fears that you know we're going to – if we make some big change in our lives, we're going to lose something for it. Because most people I know when they make a shift like that, it almost always ends up for the better if they are – you know, if their heart's in the right place when they do it. So, yeah, you've got to just understand that you don't need to let things reach their their darkest, lowest point. You can take initiative in your life. And looking back, I wish that I'd, I'd asked to move out there years earlier. Yeah, it's, um, it's you know, I, a lot of this for me is always like, yeah, you know, I, I, I could have done this earlier, but maybe the outcome would have been different, therefore. So... You know, it's always like all these little things, like you said, it's, I feel like all of it's so holistic. It's, it all builds on itself. And, and that year and a half in California built on bringing you to, to Texas. Um, so for a guy that's from Long Island, lived in New York City for you know 12 years, out in L.A. after that, Texas. <laughs> what I mean, What is that that shift like? Well, I mean, getting used to people saying the word y'all took a long time. <laughs> and I still, I still refuse to say it myself. But I'm in, I'm in Austin, Texas. So, <clears throat> excuse me, let's be clear. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm in the, the blue dot in, the, uh, in the, uh, the tomato soup of the state. So Austin is a, is a melting pot, much like in New York or in L.A. And you've got a lot of different people from both of those cities and elsewhere around the world. So there's, there's a lot of great diversity here a lot of ideas being ex- exchanged and it, it's not the uh the tumbleweeds rolling by uh cowboy hat hillbilly kind of redneck uh stereotype that you hear associated with a lot of texas in the south and uh, i couldn't i couldn't live happily in a place like that but austin has been very good to me and my quality of life is much better and i find that people here are really outgoing in a way that um they haven't been in other cities that i've lived in i think that's just a testament to the uh the conditioning of this environment has. Yeah, it's become a very big tech city, right? Yeah, uh, we've got uh, Dell here, and uh, Whole Foods is based here. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a healthy, open minded, uh, pretty liberal place. So, um, so your role at at on it has been um, as content director, and you've been there what now two years, two and a half years? Yeah, two and a half years. Um, so what ex- what exactly? 
is your role now? Like you said, it's everything you did at, Men- at Men's Fitness and more. Uh, what Run us through a, a day in the life of. Well, when I got here, Honest Reputation was, was pretty much all from the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. It was that audience. It was a, a lot of you know bros, guys who were in a heavy into MMA and lifting, but they were really into unconventional training, you know, swinging the steel mace and the steel clubs and kettlebells and stuff that you don't typically find in your average, uh, you know, big box gym. And one of the things I was tasked with doing was expanding the audience and trying to bring women in and using some of, you know, the people I knew and the, the content that I was doing at the, the mainstream fitness magazines for years to get a, a broader, more mainstream audience. So that's been my challenge is trying to reach out to women, trying to get uh, guys who were, would be intimidated by the swing of, of the maces and the kettlebells and the whole Rogan MMA, you know, arm sleeve tattoo audience. We're trying to get beyond all that. So we've had a lot of growth in the last two years, which I'm proud of. And as far as a day in the life, it's not that dissimilar to what I was doing before. I mean, I love coming in in the morning and I'm, I'm reaching out to writers and interviewing fitness experts about different topics, different training ideas and mindset stuff and meditation and nutrition and all things that, that, uh, lead up that, that can contribute to the, this idea of total human optimization, which is the company's slogan. It's anything and everything that's going to help you be a better you. So I'm, I'm under you know that umbrella now and I'm thinking about not just, you know, bench pressing and biceps and all that, but you know, how, your mindset and what you eat and the friends that you have in your life and all that can contribute, you know, to improve your fitness goals and every other goal you have. Yeah. I mean, this is totally like, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny cause I think a lot of us, we all come to the same conclusions, however we come to them. But like, it's, it, I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the, the story of, of my life right now. It's very much like, um, you know, so many clients that I work with, it's, it's, you know, about how you know, they want to lose fat, but, God knows it's 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 so little about uh, giving them some numbers because it's it's so much about really whole lifestyle everything about it. Um, you know we we could talk all day about how you can lose weight eating Twinkies, but is someone really going to do that? No, you know it's like, like teaching them about whole foods and and mindset and, and and I mean I swear most of my work now is really teaching people how to manage stress better. Um, those things that that just lead into everything and. Um, it, and I, I do love that catch line, total human optimization. It's, it's such a good, uh, it encapsulates things so well. So one of my favorite articles you've written last, uh, I guess just about a year ago or so, um, that we talked about was you started to talk about how they're looking in um, into how psychedelics are something that has worked to possibly alleviate depression. And we talk a lot about the societal constraints right now. Um, you know, people are, are using a lot of antidepressants, a lot of drugs, and we don't really know what those ramifications are. And I believe this actually tied into to a mass shooting that had happened. Um, and how we're looking now in, in science, and I think a big part of that probably being, at, you know, at on it and, and a lot of the, um, the talk that's happening in the kind of more artsy and techie communities of like things like microdosing and utilizing these, these psychedelics in a way to better human understanding. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that article and, and talk to me about kind of what, what you've seen of that in your life. Yeah. Well, after that big Vegas shooting in the fall of 17, we looked into it and found that 
the real underlying common denominator with most of these school shooters, mass shooters, is that they're on antidepressant medication. They've got a history of mental disorders and they medicate with prescription, totally legal prescription drugs prescribed by their doctors. So it just seems like you know, more than anything else, that seems to be the common thread between them. And you know, these are perfectly legal drugs and you know, so many people, Jeb, that we know are on these drugs and they have legitimate psychotic side effects. So not to say that people shouldn't use these drugs, that they're inherently bad or anything like that. Obviously, everything has, you know, it's, it's the, the dose that makes the poison, right? It's, but, you know, if these things are available and legal and prescribed, maybe there's something else, too, that's more natural that could also, you know, give us some of the same benefits without those horrible side effects. So if you look a lot, there's a lot of research coming out on, out on uh, psilocybin and other psychedelic drugs. They've tested it on PTSD suffering victims, veterans from these wars that we've been in for the last almost 20 years. And they're finding that within like one or two treatments with psychedelics, the depression goes away. I'm not going to say it's cured, but they get it under control. You know, the PTSD gets under control. They see tremendous benefits in a short period of time with a, a drug that is, you know, taken from a plant. It's natural. There's no major side effects. There's no chance of overdosing, no chance of death. And, you know, having experimented with these things a little bit myself over the past year, they've opened a lot of doors for me. And, you know, it's, it's like a, it's a teacher in a classroom, really. It's medicine isn't going to change you. It's just going to show you things about yourself. It's going to open doors. You might not be able to open yourself through other means. And it's just going to show you a little bit about your life and, and what's underlying your thoughts. And what you choose to take from that experience is totally up to you. You can, you can go with it and let it influence you and your behavior going forward and have that change your life. Or you can turn your back on it. But it's interesting to, to have something that gives you that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I've no, made no um, no qualms about the fact that I, I, you know, my my history of drug use and all those things. I never counted uh, psychedelics amongst those things that I thought were detrimental to my life. If anything, any psychedelic use I I used, I have counted as as being a huge benefit. Um, I used, I, I mean, I did a lot of it rather young, but I, I I still say to this day, a lot of my worldview is formed from those experiences. Um, you know, I felt it, it, you know, that, that whole doors of perception as a, as a way to explain it is such a, such an apt term because I definitely looked at the world differently after, um, I, I feel like, you know, we talk about this, this interconnectedness, this whole, this, I think those things become much more apparent after that use. And, and I think another thing that it, it does is it, it gives us a little bit insight into how universally small we really are which i think is an important thing in this this narcissistic kind of instagram famous society we live in to remember that like at the end of the day even the biggest impact we have is not really one that's going to to be important long term um and that sounds depressing but but if you really think about it it allows you to live your life in a way that you're like okay like it's okay like it's okay to 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 you know again we talk about this my 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 happiness quotient has risen significantly uh, since I found that that my my happiness is, is really based on um, my day to day, my 
you know, like I, I wrote something on Facebook the other day about how happy I am because I got to load my dishwasher. Yeah. You know, and it really is. It's one of those things I'm like, you know, one thing could have gone wrong and I could be in prison now and I would not be able to do that. Like, and it's, um, and I think that those psychedelics allow you to kind of see the world in that way of like, oh, like these little things are all gifts. It's, 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 uh, and um, I would love to see it, it be at least be able to medically studied and, and move forward like that. Yeah, well, we're getting there now. There's a lot of funding coming out for it. There's a lot of support. Joe Rogan has talked about it on his show. And I think we're not too far off from uh, psychedelics being prescribed like these other drugs are. And maybe when they, when they become as mainstream, we'll see less of these shootings. We'll see happier people interacting with each other more honestly and authentically. And one can only hope. Yeah, I mean, I think anything that, that opens the dialogue of – talking about mental illness in any way, shape or form. Because again, like I, I do think like, yes, a lot of these, these uh, antidepressants and anxiety drugs are very important uh, for certain populations. They also become a way, instead of actually talking about issues that are going on, it allows people to say, oh, well, you don't feel good. Let's give you this and you should magically feel better. But, but, you know, and I'm a big proponent of talk therapy. And I think that is, you know, there's, there's not medical funding for that. There's not much. Um, so not, not, not approaching a problem and not discussing a problem in any depth, you don't get to ignore it and just hope it goes away. And I think a lot of times, maybe sometimes that's, that's some of what this medication does. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that, you know, the, these, like any drug, the psychedelics are really just a supplement. They're an adjunct to other things you should be doing for yourself anyway, like getting into therapy, trying to create a, a good social circle for support, it's not like you take a pill and it you know, fixes your problems. That's the mistake people have classically made with drugs. They, they just turn to the drug 100% and expect that to work miracles. It's just another stepping stone. But it, it seems to be a very effective one and, best of all, a natural one with, with few, if any, real side effects. Yeah. So um, in your experience, obviously, I, you know, I think from what we've talked about, it, it seems to be like that – in, in New York, it's actually becoming a pretty um, more common thing. Um, you know, again, I'm in a lot of circles where there's a lot of artists and actors and people that, that are you know pretty blasé about things like that. So, that it, But um, now, do you see it as becoming something that, that seems a little bit more mainstream there? Um, you know, is it something like, like it, is, it, is it turning away from that, that thing of you think of like a bunch of kids going to a Grateful Dead show and, and whacked out? as more instead of thinking of it more of it as a uh, as like an intellectual uh enterprise of a of a of a search um more kind of shamanistic in its approach yeah i mean i'm probably in a very unique group here a little enclave with uh with on it but i would say that the people i most people i know here do experiment with these drugs and they're pretty open-minded the humble people who are using them for the right reasons. It's not a matter of, of getting trashed on a Saturday night. They really this as a as a journey, and uh, the psychedelics as a as a map for that journey. And I think that I mean, I would have to credit their behavior and their accomplishments. I think somewhat to these drugs for opening their minds and giving them the you know the the confidence to explore the dark corners and the the scary things that usually hold us back is that ultimately it's it's fear and disconnectedness that prevent most of us from achieving any goal i think i think that disconnectedness is a huge thing like you said about like socialization and more so i know 
personally, I found that that's been important for me and my growth is, 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 uh, being active in, in attempting to, to stay more social and, uh, um, you know, not just being online, but, but, you know, it's real easy on Saturday when I'm tired from a long week to be like, ah, I'm not going to do anything, but having a friend who says, Hey, I've got this thing and, and, and purpose of going out, putting yourself out there and keeping that because we, we do live more and more insulated, uh, you know, in a city of 8 million people, the fact that you could feel insulated is, is insane. Yeah, no, it's interesting you bring that up. I mean, as a writer, I think most writers like me are naturally introverted, and that's been one of the biggest challenges of my life is kind of forcing myself to go out and interact with people and start conversations and network when my natural inclination is to you know, be alone and write my thoughts out on a paper and live inside my own head. And it's psychedelics have helped me with that and being – Again, I credit more than anything just to, to passion. You know, following what I what I love. You know, my dreams and getting so immersed in this world. I just sort of naturally surrounded myself with people who are, are like minded, and you know, the best some of the best friends I've ever had in my life, including yourself, come out of uh, fitness. Um, yeah, I think that's I mean, that's such a huge just being being able though to be introspective and also be able to turn that around to the point where you know that 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 could also be a shortcoming. I think that's a, that's a huge step for a lot of people. All right. So that kind of ties up the, the, the stuff that I really wanted to get into. Um, you know, I think that that's, that's what, that's what I really wanted to grab out of this. I wanted to understand kind of how you have come to view yourself. And, and I think that's, it's such an important thing for people to do just to say like, Hey, like these are the things that I did and these things aren't gonna be the same for everybody, but to be like, this is, this is how I got where I got to. And it, and it really does come down to being passionate. And I think that's going to, it tends to be a, it's probably going to be a, a pretty common thread amongst all these things. But, um, so now I'm going to just do the closing cause this is a little fun thing. You remember that show, the actor studio inside the actor studio, James oh, yeah. Lipton. <laughs> so he, he stole these 10 question things from, um, I think it was, uh, Proster some uh, some right but it's an it's an old parlor game but so i i altered a little bit but stole it um stole it and I, it, it it's it's a fun thing to kind of get get people's uh inputs on what they would do so i did it to myself and i did it to uh mike my the last guest so you're getting it too um so first question what is your favorite non-curse word <laughs> passion passion what's your least favorite word Fear. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Uh, seeing acts of compassion. Seeing people uh, let down their their walls, take down their masks, and just be authentic with each other. And what turns you off? I mean, apart from the opposite of that, I would think being... I think ego is the enemy of growth yeah. in any case. What's your favorite curse word? Motherfucker. That's the, the <laughs> nastiest one. I, I break that out in rare occasions. <laughs> it's getting serious if you say motherfucker. What noise or sound do you love? Uh, nice acoustic guitar or just the sound of silence. What noise or sound do you hate? Uh, the horn on the subway train. <laughs> As it's pulling into a station, I always thought that was the most grating sound. Well, it's also the worst because it usually means it's going to run through and you're stuck waiting for the next train. Yeah. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? 
Uh, I can't get away from writing in any way, shape, or form. If, if I wasn't writing just prose journalism, I would be trying to write songs, and I still try to do that occasionally. <laughs> what profession would you not like? Anything to do with uh, math or science. The irony is I write a lot about math and science, but not firsthand. <laughs> anything, anything that would require me to be in the, the lab with the Bunsen burners or the, uh, the scale, I couldn't handle. I mean, some of the courses I'm taking now are so science-heavy, and I look at them like, I like this, I love this, it's a passion. But God, I, I, I don't know how people just spend their whole lives doing this. Yeah, the, the technical stuff is, is too much for if, me. All right, last one. If heaven exists, what would you like to have God say when, uh, when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, you've earned it. Nice. All right, so um, that was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, just to kind of recap, like, you know, one of the this, – this interview is so important for me is because, um, you know, again, talking about Sean Perrine and what to be proud of, um, you know, his legacy of anything – You've been to me exactly kind of that same thing. I mean, I, literally my entire career, where I am right now, would not exist without you. Um, you know, for people that are listening, for friends of yours that don't know, I mean, about how generous of a person you are. I mean, the the time you spent with me, the times where we were training, the things you, you, you taught me, the people you introduced me to, um, literally set me on a course to where I am right now and you know, I, there's nothing I could ever do to thank you enough. Um, it's, it's, it's really amazing to me. Um, and it, you know, it, it, it made me, it, you, you imbued the same passion into this that, that you have yourself. And, you know, I, it, the fact that anyone can do that, I think is amazing. Um, so I thank you and I thank you for being on here and, and congratulations on the book and, and just congratulations on all your success. It's awesome to see. Well, I appreciate that, man, but I think people should know if they don't already about you that, you have exemplified everything that I've been talking about. I never met anybody who was more passionate or willing to work hard and just empty his cup. I mean, you, you had no like preconceived notions about training or fitness and not that I ever saw. I mean, you would just, you asked me lots of questions and you sought out information on your own time. And I mean, you were a hairdresser and you had a, you were a musician and you had your whole background. Nobody would have ever believed. We, we joke about your wedding photos when you were like, Oh yeah. Pounds. <laughs> Nobody would have ever guessed that you would have transformed yourself the way that you have, not only to this physical specimen that you are, but also that you know, you're one of the industry leaders now. You've got this huge coaching business, and you know, you're, you're in the trenches training, and you're, you've totally, completely transformed your body and your life with this passion to, to not only understand about training and fitness and how it can serve you, but how it can serve other people, and you're paying it forward now. And in such a radically short time, I met you maybe five years ago. And in that time, you just, you shot from, you know, one to a hundred. It's amazing. Well, thanks again. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, I'll see you. I'm going to get down there to Austin soon. I've got to, uh, I'm making my, my yearly, uh, trip list out now. And now that I can work remotely, I can kind of do whatever I want. So <laughs> it's good. Thank you so much That's again, cool. man. It was great talking to you. Um, again, super proud of you and amazed with everything you're doing. You got it. We'll come down here. We'll uh, we'll go two stepping and eat barbecue anytime. <laughs> All right.